During the summer of 1814 there was a considerable degree of fermentation in Italy, to which the neighborhood of Elba, the residence of several of the Bonaparte family, and the sovereignty of Mora occasioned a general resort of Napoleon's friends and admirers. This excited the attention of the English, who are curious to know the meaning of whatever is going on, or, not knowing it, suspect mischief. Towards the middle of the summer, Napoleon was visited by his mother and his sister, the Princess Pauline. At the same time, he expected to be rejoined by his wife, Maria Luisa, who was coming to take possession of her Italian states, and who had been promised permission to proceed to Elba, though it was now denied her. Surely the more dignified step would have been not to have considered her as degraded by so doing from a mere change of fortunes, unless it were intended to stigmatize the union altogether as forced and unnatural, which could not reflect much honor on any of the parties concerned in it. In the latter end of May, Baron Kohler, the Austrian commissioner, took leave of Napoleon to return to Vienna. After his departure, Colonel Sir Neil Campbell was the only one of the four commissioners who continued to reside at Elba, by order of the British cabinet. It was difficult to say what his situation really was, or what were his instructions. It was not the less appropriate in an English commissioner for being impertinent, and the officiousness added to the bonhomie. It came the nearest of anything to the character of a spy. This was not very pleasant to Bonaparte, who might have his reasons for being private, and though he at first took pleasure in Colonel Campbell's society, the intimacy cooled by degrees, and the Emperor, by availing himself of the forms of court etiquette, made it necessary for him to take a trip to Leghorn or the coast of Italy, whenever his curiosity grew uneasy, by which method, at his departure and return, he obtained an audience. Sir Neil found Bonaparte's conversation on these occasions rather vague and declamatory, and seemed to think it hard that the latter did not in good fellowship communicate all his plans to him, that he might forthwith transmit them to the British cabinet, the conscience-keeper of Europe. During his residence at the island of Elba, Bonaparte had also frequent conversations with English travellers, among others Lord Ebrington and Mr. Littleton, who— inquiring into the truth of certain allegations brought against him, with that jealousy of right and wrong which is natural to them, and which their government turned to so vile a use, were the first means to dispel those shameful delusions which had been employed as bugbears to inflame and batten the public mind, prostituting the moral sense of the community to ruin and enslave both it and the world. As the winter approach, a change was discernible in the Emperor's habits and manners. The alterations which he had planned no longer gave him the same interest. He rode out but little, and grew more thoughtful and retired. He became also uneasy at being subjected to pecuniary embarrassments. The ready money he had brought from France was soon gone, and to make up from the deficiency he was forced to call for contributions from the islanders, who were too poor to pay them. This plan not succeeding, and only producing petitions and vexations, he was compelled to have recourse to others, peculiarly galling to his disposition. His actual income did not exceed three hundred thousand francs, and his expenditure amounted to at least a million. He was therefore obliged to lower the allowances of most of his retinue, to reduce the wages of the miners by one-fourth, 
to raise money by the sale of provisions laid up for the garrison, and even by selling a train of brass artillery to the Duke of Tuscany. He disposed also of some property in a barrack, and meant to have sold the townhouse at Porto Ferrajo. These difficulties were mostly owing to the mean and unfair proceeding of the French government, of a peace with all the rest. The sixth article of the Treaty of Fontainebleau provided an annuity of two million five hundred thousand francs to be registered on the Great Book of France, and paid without abatement or deduction to Napoleon Bonaparte. Nevertheless, so far from this pension being paid regularly, there is no evidence that Bonaparte ever received a single remittance on account of it. Sir Neil Campbell, so early as the 31st of October, expressed his opinion that if this state of things continued much longer, nothing could or would hinder Bonaparte from passing over, with his troops, to Piombino or some other part of Italy.' 